0: This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot and use promo code PCPER at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and promo code PCPER.
1: Hello and welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 531 being recorded on February 6, 2019. I'm Sebastian Peek. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath.
0: And I'm Jim Tannis.
1: And though this is being recorded on February 6, it is being released after the embargo is up for what we are about to talk about, which is the much- What are we going to talk about? Josh, happening.: eating. I'm asking what you're talking about. Okay, remember a month ago? Could you wait? Okay. Um, let me take you back. Josh. Would you just tell me? Let me take you back. to uh, It was an exceptionally clement day in Las Vegas, Nevada. I awoke uh, from a deep slumber to the sounds of Dr. Lisa Sue presenting on stage. A brand new graphics card produced at the 7 nanometer uh, node. So today is, well, when you're listening to this, it will be at least the 7th of February. And that is very important because Radeon 7, the world's first 7 nanometer GPU for gaming, is released. And we can talk about it. We can talk about performance. We've been able to show the card and talk about the fact we've been benchmarking it for the last three days. Now we can finally share performance numbers with you. So what is it? Just to give you a brief high-level overview, essentially, this is the same architecture as the previous high-end GPU from AMD, which was Vega 64, which based on the Vega 10 GPU. And what they've done is they've taken that down from 14 nanometers to seven nanometers, which reduces the die from 495 millimeters squared down to 331 millimeters squared. And whether you keep track of die sizes or not, the reason it's really important here is because they can add on the same package. Is it a package? Josh, please enlighten me. This well, is it's, it's the, the die proper. Is it still a die? And then there's the GPU die on die. Okay. Well, no, it's, tree? it's the GPU die. It's the okay. memory
2: dies. And, this is and then an it's the interposer interposer. Yeah. And what is the whole thing called? Like this whole module?
1: Okay. Like this thing that's in the right, right here. Yeah, I'd call that, I'd just call that a module. A module? Okay. Yeah. I always called this the die, and I realized that I was wrong because the die is inside here. Yeah. Okay. So because there's extra space on the module, they've added. There's extra space on the
2: interposer. You can add more memory chips to make. The same
1: sized module. Okay. But so you've with- got double the memory and double the bandwidth. That's true. See, you stole my thunder because when they added double the memory, they did it on two more 32 gigabit packages, these stacks of four gigabytes of uh, high bandwidth memory to HBM2. So now it has 16 gigabytes of HBM2, which is not only running slightly faster, but it it's running with the fattest memory pipe that you know we've ever seen because it's 2 gigabit per second HBM2 times 4 so 4096 bit memory that's the same uh, memory bus width that we saw with uh, R9 Fury X back in the day and now here it is with HBM2 running faster with just a, this is a terabyte of memory bandwidth. So that's the, that's not only, that's not the only change because they have also greatly increased the, the clock speed. So we went from a base clock of 1274 with Vega 64, the air cooled version, the liquid cooled version was around 1400 megahertz base. And then this is 1450 megahertz base. So you're, already ahead of that kind of special more premium liquid cooled version of the vega 64 that amd actually used to sell and i I think it's been discontinued for a while it's pretty rare i was actually looking around ebay for one the other day just to see what they're going for and they're going for a lot of money and the peak engine clock which is a new term for amd uh it's it's based on workload their peak engine clock target for this is 1800 megahertz and the the regular boost GPU clock is 1750 so it's it's clocked very aggressively the boost clock on Vega 64 was only 1546 the still has 64 rops but the the change is the fact that this is a slightly cut down version of the Vega 20 GPU the full version is available with their professional uh compute card the Uh, instinct mi60 that has 64 uh next-gen compute units this has 60 so as far if you're looking on paper like in between the vega 56 and the vega 64 is this card but it's this is in no way hampered by it's uh having four compute units disabled as we'll see so very, very aggressive uh, amount of memory. I I know that's that's one of the topics of discussion or will be one of the topics of discussion from AMD as this is launching is making use of all of that memory. And it's it's more than just gaming. They have emphasized since this was announced on stage that this is kind of a dual purpose card. This is for content creation and gaming. And some of the things you can do with that much fast memory and an enhanced core which is essentially the same architecture just faster Uh, no new like graphical features that I'm aware of. They've been pretty tight-lipped about details on the architecture so I can only assume that we can reference kind of like the MI50 which is its closest uh, the closest professional card to this many of the same specs just lower clocks so and similar power Uh, and I talked to you Josh earlier in the week about you know what what can they do when they when they shrink the die down? They went from 14 nanometers to 7 nanometers. That gave them a bigger power envelope. And when you do a die shrink, you have options, right?
2: Well, yeah. It's, uh, you know, the biggest, of course, is you, you're shrinking the die significantly, which allows you to get all that extra crap on the Interposer because the Interposer can only be so big as well. And so you've got, um, you know, more dies per wafer. You have a better chance of having better yields overall. We don't know about bins, but when you go to, you know, obviously a lower, smaller process, node, you're, you're going to get some advantages. And in this case, you're going to get some power and speed advantages. Maybe not as much as you used to, but AMD, when they redesigned this, I mean, it was redesigned for seven nanometers. It wasn't a total redesign. They took the basic thing. They they It's, it's almost like a pipe cleaner. For a large GPU, to make sure they got everything right, they have a working product on 14 nanometer. They take that they they use the correct libraries and whatnot to to uh, lay out the the um, the design and um, see if it works. I mean, they've done that in the past, and, and pipe cleaners have worked pretty well because uh, it's it's not as much fun when you have a brand new product on a brand new process node usually there're some issues that you know you're going to have as compared to having a die that works on even a larger process node but you can shrink that down and make sure it you know it works and it's 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 you you cut out a lot of the uncertainty of why it's not working and so usually it's pretty aggressive to see somebody do a new design on a new process node so AMD kind of used Vega to do this and initially like <clears throat> you said they they were gonna only do the um, um enterprise versions and uh workstation type stuff with vega seven or more you know vega twenty was the official name for the g p u yeah. but yeah to uh you know it's it's not perfect though because they're still running at three hundred watts t d p
1: it's a it's a pretty hot package there yeah, I would assume that a lot of that is a function of just being so aggressive on clocks. I mean, if they had come out with the same specs as Vega sixty four at seven nanometers, I assume we'd be down below like two hundred and fifty watts, two hundred twenty watts, yeah, closer to where the Vega fifty six was. Yeah, but I mean, that's they also had to
2: add a bunch of transistors for the memory. Um, you know, that's double true. The memory transistor the count is up. Yeah, and also probably some others to get everything running and at the clock speeds that they want on on the process node so the process node is not going to inherently give you well it's going to be to a part i mean if you're looking at just pure transistor performance you're going to get an increase in 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 clock speed but that's per transistor it's not per product you start throwing Thirteen billion transistors at a process, and and you're going to run into issues. And then that's where design comes in, and it gives you a better better experience than uh, you know just doing a dumb shrink.
1: Um, what else do you want to know? Yeah, well, I have more questions, but uh, we'll we'll get to the gaming benchmarks briefly. Um, you can read the full review at pcpro.com to see all of the charts. But right off the bat, I, I only tested at 1440 and at 4K. I assume that no one is spending $699 on a graphics card, which is the launch price for this product, and playing at 1080p. I mean, if you are, you know, more power to you, but uh, I don't know why you'd need 16 gigabytes of memory to do that. Anyhow, uh, Time Spy, 3D Mark, was the first thing I ran when I unboxed this card. And that's actually a DirectX 12, 1440p gaming benchmark. And Right off the bat, I saw a performance that was in between an RTX 2070 and an RTX 2080. And the RTX 2080, at least with synthetics, had a pretty big lead. And I did Unigine, Superposition, Benchmark, also at 1440 uh, high settings. Once again, in between the RTX 2070 and 2080. But uh, shifting things over to actual games, I decided why not look first at the games that are Traditionally, better optimized to run on AMD hardware than not, and so two of them that came. You got the uh,
2: you got the Quake Two 3D now executable,
1: and I I, I consider this a huge miss. We talked about this earlier. I'm kicking myself there. I could have been probably the we could have been the only outlet covering the games that matter the most. We could have done like Quake Two. Quake 3 arena multiplayer graphics performance testing we could have done like Wolfenstein Free 2 Space 2 you know I I'm a Quake I, 2 RTX at least do Quake 2 RTX was that really a thing I'm sorry I don't know it actually it is but yeah, you making like an RTX on joke and I was missing it like No no, no, no actually
2: somebody did refile mad. the uh, the Quake 2 executable support RTX and it it apparently it runs at like 60 oh, to 70 yes. that, that
1: Vulcan. Second. what was it called uh q2vkp something like
3: that yeah yep. something ridiculously long like that Vulcan, and
1: otherwise ray tracing yes yeah. i still haven't installed that i was busy reviewing things <laughs> hopefully we have a quiet month coming up so that i don't have to do this all week but anyway back to the results we went with ashes of the singular ashes of the singularity escalation first Because I wanted to see, like, what can this card do with software that's optimized for Radeon graphics to start with? And lo and behold, it was number one. It beats out the RTX 2080 at high settings, 2560 by 1440. And it does it by about four, or three or four FPS. So it's not like neck and neck. It's actually got a little bit of a lead. And while it was a little bit less consistent with frame times than the RTX 2080, which is very smooth in that game. Oddly smooth. Like, every other game shows like stuttering or every other card shows stuttering with that game that I've tested. And this was no exception, but it was like the second best performance and the highest frame rate of any card I've tested so far with the game. So then we I moved on to Far Cry 5, another game with the AMD logo that should be a little bit better optimized. And again, great performance, great showing, not in first place, but within like 4 or 5 FPS. Of the 2080, so they're kind of neck and neck. They're trading blows right off the bat. I'm like, this is going to be a really interesting day. Of I did all the 1440 testing on one day, and I did all the 4K testing the next day, and that was pretty much the last time it was going to win at 1440 with just this small sample of games that I have that I've I've been testing recently. I, I didn't have time to start from scratch and do all new games at every resolution and the three times per run and all the other stuff that I do here. But F1 2018, that's a DirectX 11 title. It's kind of showing its age a little bit, but at the high preset, actually very, very good frame rates. And the smoothest performance I've seen from any card that I've tested with this game so far in the last like month of nothing but GPU testing that I've been doing. So another great showing there. I mean, it was behind the 2080, but it was only behind by like nine frames and it was way ahead of the 2070. So... Uh, Middle Earth, Shadow War, kind of the same thing. And I'll kind of skip ahead. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, that was the one where I knew that's going to be kind of a controversial pick. You're reviewing an AMD graphics card, and this is a game that's got, like, NVIDIA GameWorks uh, optimizations. And the only one that I know of for sure is Hair. I don't know what else under the hood is going on as far as NVIDIA optimizations, but apparently there might be something, because not only was this not in first place, it was actually all the way behind a GTX 1080 at 1440 high. So, I mean, not much. It was basically tied with a GTX 1080. But that's not obviously what you want to see from the new flagship for AMD. And this is probably the like worst case scenario. And I'm sure people will be pointing fingers to the fact that this was even tested. But it is what it is. It's a game that's out there. It's popular. I've used it for the other reviews that I've done. And I thought, hey, I'll just see how the Radeon does with this game. And it turns out not very well. And a game that has received a lot of criticism from, I think, Radeon uh, fans is Final Fantasy XV, which absolutely makes use of a whole bunch of NVIDIA technology, but only if it's enabled, obviously. So at the standard preset, none of that is enabled. And this, as far as I know, and this card is once again up in second place. So kind of the story of 1440. And as it turns out, the card in general is that it pretty much performs somewhere in between a a, a RTX 2070 and an RTX 2080. However, and this is why it's kind of like just sort of the beginning. I'm just testing with the same settings I've been testing. And I have intentionally used settings in the past to not exclude cards that only have like four or six gigabytes of memory i dropped i completely gave up on four gigabytes now we're in the six gigabyte and up world the amd cards even at, at the low end you can get a 200 card with eight gigabytes of memory the lowest end some of the lower end cards in the mid-range anyway are coming with like six or eight gigabytes of memory so You can enable higher textures you can run at higher resolutions without that huge penalty of hitting the wall with video ram however the trend has been for more and more video ram to be required over time and amd in their slide deck like their the information they shared with the press they were showing kind of this trend line of how over time you're going to need more and more video ram and you know obviously they're proud of the 16 gigabyte total and they, they want to show it off and they want to justify it. And there are ways that you can make full use of that. And we'll talk a little bit about compute after gaming, but in gaming, one of the things that you can do is run at higher resolutions, higher textures. And the card did a little bit better overall at 4k or I call it 4k. It's, you know, UHD 3840 by 2160, but it was closer uh, if you look at the, the uh, benchmark results on the site, when you read the review, you will see that, you know, it, it was in, like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, worst case scenario at 1440, it was just behind a 2070 at 2160, and it had completely leapfrogged not only the 1080, but the 2060 and the Vegas 64, which did really well in that game at 4K, suddenly it's like right behind the RTX cards at the top. So it seems that the more you push at this card, the better it responds. And it, it has probably something to do with all of that memory bandwidth available to it and all of that video RAM where you just are never going to hit a wall no matter how high resolution you go. You could run games at 8K. It might be a slideshow if you're trying to do 8K Ultra because the GPU technology just cannot handle that with the current generation even if you have the video memory for it. But you're never going to be limited, at least in this generation, or possibly even into the next generation, by video RAM because you have so much. Have we ever had, in any generation, a consumer graphics card with 16 gigabytes of memory? Well,
2: if the um, uh, what was Nvidia's first interposer-based one that had 16 gigs on there, I think, and
1: up to 32 gigs, but that yeah. was a ten thousand dollar card right yeah that was a professional card and i know know there have been before obviously the closest cousin to this other than the new instinct which obviously is using the same die the instinct mi50 is essentially the same but this is like the more aggressively clocked probably higher bend version of that but the frontier edition came to mind frontier edition was the full Uh, Vega 10 GPU, all 64 uh, compute engines enabled, 16 gigabytes of HBM, and in many ways, uh, kind of the predecessor to this card. And I think, honestly, this is a successor to that card as far as like a prosumer, like GPU compute uh, user, somebody who would want one of these to do things like OpenCL acceleration you're getting a better value at $699. That was $1,000 when it launched, and I believe still is $1,000. So if you don't need all of the professional-level features and you don't need the professional drivers, you can do a lot with this card with Compute. And I will just briefly touch on that because they they showed some slides, and I did some of my own testing just to kind of you know, just in good faith to va- validate. And for example, LuxMark three point one, the current version, the Lux Ball HDR demo that everybody uses for OpenCL performance, and the score for this thing is off the chart uh, compared to Vega sixty four. And I I actually dragged out the Vega sixty four liquid cooled version that I inherited, and that thing is a is a fantastic card, by the way. I was, like, amazed. I'm, like, running it at full board. I can barely hear it because the 120-millimeter the fan spins so slowly. And it's clocked so much more aggressively than any of the air-cooled Vega 64 cards are. And still, with the gains you get from the liquid-cooled version at the higher clocks, with full Vega 10, with all 64 compute engines, this Radeon 7 blows it away with... Like in the Luxmark demo, uh, Blender, I ran like the BMW test, significantly lower, uh, like 94 seconds compared to 113 and a half seconds. So it's very, very good compute performance. And one of the things that was emphasized was what you could do with things like 8K video. And even though 8K video sounds kind of ridiculous, one of the things that I was learning when we were at CES is that a lot of video professionally shot at 8K certainly shot above 4K because you want to be able to frame the video after the fact. You want to be able to do crops within a frame or downsample to get rid of noise in a darker scene or do panning effects across a frame without having to go and reshoot something or take something out of a frame. So when you're dealing with that much, uh, like that high a resolution, it actually starts to make a lot of sense, where they were, you know, there are workloads where you're easily eclipsing eight, nine, ten, eleven gigabytes of video memory, if you're using OpenCL acceleration in like Adobe Creative Cloud, and they were showing gains of, you know, it's like one point two nine x is what they were showing over Vega sixty four, with Adobe Premiere eight K, which is better still than what the RTX twenty eighty is able to do by, by a, a small percentage, but. The LuxMark games are probably the biggest, most impressive ones I saw. But uh.
2: you know that I think I, it would be interesting to do some more testing on on memory bandwidth and memory size because if you think about it, I mean it's it's got 64 ROPS. Some of the you know Nvidia stuff has far more ROPS, and so that's just you know basic painting pixels on the screen that's running up to 144 hertz. And so that's that's a lot of pixels at, at 2K or, or 4K at, uh, you know, 60 hertz. And so since ROPs are typically really closely associated with memory controllers, you're doubling the memory controllers. You're lowering the contention that ROPs potentially have with each other for that memory bandwidth. And, and ROPs are, from what I understand, are typically pretty memory bandwidth hungry because you've got to, you know they they write that data to memory and then it's accessed, goes to the frame buffer and pushed out to um, the monitor and 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 it's just, you know, the video controller. Sorry, yeah. And um, it seems like that's where you see some real improvements, and especially when you start talking about professional stuff. Boy, you're yeah. just you just have such a larger, wider base of of because I mean, even though these GPUs have pretty good amount of caches. It's not a huge amount
1: of cache per
2: compute unit. No, it's not. And so they still utilize a
1: lot of main memory. That's so, exactly. yeah. that's a great segue because that's what I was going to ask you. My next ultra-technical sure. question. I was studying the Vega architecture a little bit before uh, completing the review. Just trying to look for any areas where they might have done some enhancements because they, they referred to some enhancements and some reduced latency. But I wasn't getting any specific details. One of the things about... Vega 10 was it had doubled over the previous architecture I believe Fiji it had doubled the L2 cache from 2 to 4 megabytes which backfeeds the rops I believe well it's it's uh... I just wondered if if there was any increase to the speed or reduction in latency to that L2 cache or even if they had actually increase the L2 cache you could get you know the, the L1 L2
2: minutes. cache are more closely associated with the with the the cores you know the the compute cores okay they're not so much with with the ROPs uh ROPs have I think you know a limited amount very very small amount of, of local memory to them but they don't access L1 and L2 nearly as much as as the compute cores do and so in a lot of their operations
1: could be why they are getting such such improvements from compute than i imagine and not necessarily like pixel fill rate or texture fill rate well it's i would assume i don't i haven't seen the numbers but because for some reason it wasn't on their chart but i assume this still has 256 texture units because the previous architecture did as well it could be less because uh, depending on where they
2: associate the texture units. If they have the texture units just adjacent to the compute cores, well, there's there's fewer compute cores, and so you're going to have fewer texture units probably um, because that's, that's typically where it makes more logical sense to have texture units where it's actually doing pixel processing rather than near the ROPs.
1: Okay. Well, we can discuss this at length, but... I'll just move along. Basically, the the final thoughts that I had, and I'll I'll briefly touch on like power consumption. Like this is this still has a three hundred watt TDP. Uh, it's in normal gaming workloads, you're not going to get there. This was consuming less power than even my overclocked uh, ASUS ROG Strix like gaming Vega sixty four. It that thing I think under load is somewhere in like the three hundred. 50 to 375 watt at the wall. Total system draw. We're talking about the whole uh, system back here, which has like an overhead of around 75 watts between processor and everything else while it's running. So at load. So this from the wall, normal gaming load, one of my benchmarks was pulling, what was it? 314 watts. That's what I have here. So, you know, the actual board was pulling when I was looking at some of the uh, logs, was pulling like 220 230 watts so i mean i could push it a lot harder and that was not 4k so i mean it, it's pushing much higher resolutions you'd be getting closer to the board power limits but i feel like there is headroom here and the cooler is the default fan profile definitely favors uh thermals over noise Because even though well. i mean those temperatures are amazing yeah it's ridiculous like i i had thought that that Strix Vegas 64 was kind of overkill, like that big triple fan cooler. And it's almost like a three slot design and under load, it keeps it like 63 C like, you know, you don't really need to run it at 63 C. I guess that gives you overclocking headroom, but uh this card was running at 59 C and the room was like a, a degree cooler. So I guess we could just call it 60, but that's just crazy. And for the most part, even though i was hitting like 44 to 45 decibels uh i could if the card was pushed for a longer period of time like i could get it all the way up to like 50 and i hit 52 was the highest recorded um noise reading and that's that sounds loud but i mean you you talk about like the old blower style designs and this is nowhere near like going with one of these uh like open air like triple fan, double or triple fan designs, like has been the trend this generation from Nvidia and now AMD, is great because all you're hearing is like that air turbulence. You just hear the rush of air against heat sink, and you don't hear any kind of whine, and it's great. So even at forty five decibels, even at fifty decibels, it's not really uh, annoying at all. But those temperatures, uh, you could certainly use a more modest fan profile and still be more than cool enough or overclock the car, which is something I have not tried to do yet. So I'm boring. I haven't taken the card apart. I haven't peeled off the thermal pads. I haven't used a flathead screwdriver on Pentalo bolts. I haven't done any of the fun stuff everybody else has been doing. But anyway, we have a review. You can read all the details and see all the pictures and there's a beautiful die shot that AMD provided that I used on the last page. Not only that, but look at that look at that card behind you I
2: know with there its, it is with its uh with plastic base
1: that's r g b enhanced it is r g b enhanced because it's you know current year and it has to be r g b to be relevant, but yeah, I mean look it's got a real and I was actually almost there's a thin piece of plastic over this uh g p u here I thought about just like picking it off and pulling the GPU out. But. That's that's literally like $300
2: worth of silicon mm-hmm. just sitting there. I wonder
1: if it's like... I'm sure that there's some part of this that's functional. I can't imagine it would be like completely dead die here. Probably.
2: Otherwise, why would they give it to a guy like you? Well, I mean, obviously, I
1: rate a little bit higher than you do, Josh. Well, actually, you rate a lot higher than me, but... I'm, I'm, I'm dark. About sorry. that, later. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, let's move on. There's actually more going on. Believe it or not, uh, we had another record-setting week at the website. I don't know if that's actually true. I have not been here since the beginning, like Jeremy has. But we can call it a record. Okay, it was a record. Another week in a row of like five or six reviews posted. We have a review almost every day of the week.
0: Well, you know, traffic at the site year over year for January was up
1: 145%. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. You know, once we got rid of those, those sure. I know. those losers.
1: What yep. Once we got Allen and, and that other guy, I can't even remember his name right now. No, I know if you're watching Ryan, we love you. But anyway, uh, but you were a drag on the company. Yeah. I mean, look, look what's, what's happened since you've left. Uh, Maury. Maury is back with a vengeance with motherboard reviews uh, throughout the month of February, I imagine. And the first one is this new Asus Asus. I struggle with that name after all these years. Tough, Z390, Pro, Gaming, ATX, and other superlatives. Uh, I looked over this. You know, at least uh, they don't name them like gigabyte boards. Yeah, it is. It is easier to pronounce. I'll give you that. And one thing right off the bat, I will just, I will just clear the air right now. The seamless battery placement on this board is, I'm sorry, it's a little questionable. And this is actually something where I, I, I used to kind of laugh along with, uh, I think some of, some of us when that would come up, and I'm like. You know, it's almost like a, a, t- a punchline. But really, when you put the battery directly under your dual slot cooler graphics card and you've, you have an overclock that went wrong, horribly wrong, and you to pull the CMOS battery, now you've got to take your expansion cards out and you've got to get down there. So I can, I can see that. I mean, that's literally one of the only things that Mori could find to even... Complain about so this is obviously a very solid solution, and we've seen the tough series in the past. These were it, the brand has kind of changed, but you still have a motherboard with a a like a more robust build, and not as very, much gray as yeah. User. It's you don't have like a full shield over the top, I and mean, there is some shielding. One of the a big things was the
2: the ceramic based heat sinks that they had for those that they mm. were it's kind of the big deal for them they're you know they were robust boards but they weren't fancy they didn't have a whole bunch of crap on it
1: but they I was, were they were remember them being a lot more expensive in this like this is at like at launch at like $169 price point no it's that's about where cuz
2: okay. i remember back in the day some of the uh the tough uh what the 890 uh, series from AMD were launched right around there. It wasn't until you got the uh, Crosshair, or was it Crossfire? I can't remember which ones crosshair. that were. Uh,
1: AMD used uh, Crossfire for multi-GPU, Josh.
2: Well, yeah, but I'm I'm talking about the um... SLI. No, no,
3: no, 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 Crosshair motherboards. Yes. yes,
2: yes, but I think it was Crosshair. And then they turned into Crosshair Ranger and crap like yes. that. yes. But... Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the, uh, the 890 Tough and the 990 Tough were, you know, they were less than their high-end boards, but they still had plenty of good features and good cooling. And
1: again, yeah, I but- point out that uh, inflation causes the price of things to rise over time, Josh. And, you know, yeah, I'm but sure the about- 990 was, was only two years ago.
0: <laughs> well the the other thing so asus has it's not just that things i mean asus has explicitly changed the the positioning of their tough series tough was it was that had that durable characteristic it had the extra shielding and all that and it and it wasn't their top of the line price point but it wasn't their cheapest board either starting this year asus is intentionally moving tough to sort of their entry level they they when we talked to them at c e s they characterized it as like it's uh, an entry-level price but not entry le- you know it's greater than entry-level features so it's still got that good solid build quality not fancy no you know no extra rgbs no crazy features uh just a good solid board at and i think street prices on this are about 150 too so it's, it's oh, even really? cheaper okay. than list wow. so
1: and i'm looking over the feature list and this has a lot of that same tough stuff like it's got uh let's see stainless steel back IO. So it's corrosion resistant. It's got land guard. So it's got like the surge protection. It's got the tough components. So military grade chokes, caps, MOSFETs. So a lot of the same kind of durability type stuff that we've seen in the past. But like you said, it's like no frills. If you have RGB itis, this might be your answer. Like I love me some, you know, ROG motherboard. But a lot of the newer ones have a lot of like, you know, they have a lot of features that are really useful, and they have a lot of features that are kind of extra. And if you're looking to kind of pare down, you just want something that's going to be reliable. And like I said, Maury, very impressed with the board. He hammers on these things, and he, his testing methodology is very uh, methodical and also very like, it's very, very hard on the boards and components, and he he does extended overclocking and stress runs and he found nothing to complain about, except, you know, CMOS battery placement it could have been a little lower on the board, but there might be a reason oh, yeah. for that. I'm not sure. You know what? M.2. I blame it on M.2. I'm looking at this board design. That M.2, which has that shield over it in between the lower two PCI Express, that's where the uh, CMOS battery would have been. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason it's not there, I'm sure. Maybe it's time to move away from those CR2032 batteries after what? <laughs> Thirty years, twenty years. I, I will say but they're so being, good. Being a, a collector of what my wife might consider useless junk, uh, one of my obsessions is like three eighty six and four eighty six systems and motherboards and related components and accoutrements. And you, it's always a crapshoot when you buy a three eighty six or forty six motherboard because they usually have those those horrible barrel batteries on them that almost all leak. And so even if the pictures on eBay, it looked pretty good. You get it. And just being jostled around in the mail, by the time you actually get the motherboard, the thing has burst and it's leaking all over the board. And I I have at least one dead motherboard that I can see right here because of this. So I'll, I'll take the CR 2032, but I'd like to see a smaller solution. Uh, Moving on another review. This one put up by Chris. Chris Coke, who uh, contributes to the site, and he does a lot of keyboards and gaming headsets and mice and gaming peripherals, in other words. And this is the update to the Artemis Spectrum is what it was called when I reviewed it. I reviewed the G933 and 633 back in the day. And those were fantastic. They were the origin of the Pro-G driver as far as I can remember. And that was a smaller driver. If looking over the specs here, this is a 50 millimeter Pro-G. When Pro-G launched, it was a smaller driver that still had the, like the, the really deep bass, but also had a very like good frequency response throughout the entire range. And it was a more balanced sound. So it was, was, I was very impressed around the entire thing, right? Yes.
2: It wasn't like, it wasn't like the old, uh, you know, uh, curve where you had the bass and then you had the treble and your mid range oh, i like band smiley filters you know i'm it, not a filters. huge
1: i'm not a huge fan of the smiley EQ. like josh you're wearing Grados right now right those are the yeah. 60s or the yeah. 80s uh,
2: no one uh 225s oh two, i'm sorry
1: i'm yeah. thrown because they use the same design all the way up until I know. to the 325 correct Okay. So the 225s have the much better like, level matching and, and better, like, the better bins of the drivers. Yeah. So, with, with most gaming headsets, you have that kind of like scooped EQ, the smile EQ, like Jeremy said. And these traditionally have not been that way. Chris was very impressed by these. He basically said these are an improvement uh, over that previous generation. I would love to get my hands on these and hear them myself. Uh of course there are lighting effects and that sort of thing with this, but you don't have to use those if you don't want to. And that was the case before. My only issue with the 933 633 design in the past was it's it's rather large on your head. Hey, is it big enough to hide an SSD in there? Pretty much battery. Scroll just up a bit. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, from that camera angle, it kind of does look like an SSD. I don't think so. It's not quite that it close enough. But, I mean, a removable battery is a wonderful thing. Yes, it is. And I see that that is not, like, soldered in. It's actually got a little connector. And, I yeah, assume, you can swap it out. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? And these work uh, analog or uh, over USB. This one's wireless. So it's all three. Like, that was my understanding of, like, the last generation of these two. Like, the 633 was wired only. The 933 could go either way, and 935 is the same kind of deal. But again, new drivers. Uh, I'm very curious to read all the details. I've been a little bit busy the last couple of days since this went up. But uh, he even, uh, this was a great idea. Uh, I I'd thought about this in the past, but just using SoundCloud, if you go to the website and read the review for microphone quality, uh, he put up some SoundCloud mic samples. So you can listen to the G935 mic, you can listen to the G432, the other. More budget uh, gaming headset released along with this one and and hear what that sounds like. And that's something where every manufacturer has had room for improvement over the last few years. The best I've heard so far is Logitech. And uh, I'm curious to see if this one has like the same quality. Like it went up. Like they actually, from the G933 to, oh, what was it? It's that red one that I've worn a few times on the podcast, like the 533, maybe they drastically improves the microphone quality. So if that's still the case, it's still getting better. I will have to listen to these sound clips. But anyway, check out the review. Chris uh, got that up uh, this week. And very briefly, because I did this one myself, I will cover the uh, Scythe Katana 5, which is a low-cost CPU air cooler. I have at least one more. A very popular model of cooler there's a new variant of a certain popular uh cooler master cooler on the market which is now in a black version with uh, an rgb fan and that is coming in the short term but for now you can content yourself with a cooler review from scythe and actually they're one of my favorite brands for a variety of reasons they're mounting mechanisms Are very robust their coolers provide a tremendous amount of performance for the price always the ninja 4 was my favorite air cooler i've ever reviewed the thing was just a monster and it's much smaller than solutions from other companies but this is kind of like a miniature version of one of those and the only thing i could find to complain about it at all was the mounting mechanism which is that intel style clip mechanism but when you hold this thing, it's so light that it kind of makes sense. Like once I had it attached, it was actually a little bit more secure than the Intel system that you find on their stock coolers because I was carrying the motherboard around by the cooler and it wasn't falling. So as the we, manufacturer recommends. Yes. Yes. So you know it's a it's a convenient handle and that's what it's for. <laughs> so, uh, very good performance. Uh, uh anyone who who Questions the fact that I only compared it against the Katana 5. That's the only cooler I've reviewed recently with the same test setup. So that will be corrected soon. There'll be a lot more on the charts. But for now, if you want to check it out, it's an under $30 cooler. It's coming back into stock in the US uh, this month. Usually, uh new egg, I think, is the place to find it around $28 or so. So in that price range, very, very competitive performance. And I'm curious to see how it stacks up against the new uh, Hyper 212 when I get that uh, tested. And next on the list, this is something that Jim posted, I believe. An OWC Dual Bay Drive Dock. Is this USB-C?
0: Uh, yeah, this, so this is USB-C um, only because they have a, uh, a number of products with this exact same form factor, but just different interfaces. This particular one is just a single USB-C 3.1 Gen 2. So you can go to 10 gigabits uh, on the bandwidth and it, and it does work at that. I tested it on a Thunderbolt three port and obviously with SATA drives, you're not going to hit that. But if you uh, raid them together or try to access both simultaneously, uh, you got, I got up to, I think it was 960 megabytes a second of uh, total speed. So uh, on sequential uh, reads. So very fast. Uh, the, The build quality is great. It's this sort of solid aluminum all around the base with, with plastic on top and the plastic does scratch a little bit easily because they've got uh, these flaps for the three and a half inch and and, uh, two and a quarter inch drives. So you're going to get some scratches there because as you insert the drive, it touches the plastic. So that was, you know, possibly a design oversight, but you know, not a huge deal, independent power,
2: six scratches off of it. I'm sorry. Would, would you get some sick scratches? Awesome. Sick, sick scratches? You know, like sick, like gnarly? Scratches. No,
0: wicky, like wiki you know, like
1: woo wiki wiki. He's talking about like scratching. Oh, DJs I have about. no idea.
0: I don't know. Mine didn't sound good.
1: Uh, but, uh, it looks, you know what it looks like, Jim? It looks like a nook. It looks like one of those uh, taller <laughs> nooks that accept a two and a half inch hard drive.
0: It is. It's bigger than a nook. Uh, oh. It might be closer to like one of the gigabyte bricks, you know, like the next Follow nook up style.
1: question can you 3d print different lids for it like you can with a nook
0: not officially uh, i'm sure you could probably pry that off and put whatever you wanted on there but um but no it's it's basically it's a it's a simple solid high performance drive dock not everyone needs these anymore this one's expensive it's 120 so you're going to pay Jeez. for it but uh i was coming from a startech uh based a single drive usb 3.0 device that had finally died and it was always flaky. It didn't have boot support. This has boot support. It's oh, nice. hot swappable. Oh uh, okay. So it's just it's just a, a you know solid all-around um <clears throat> excuse me. Is it uh, bootable on a Windows
1: system? I, you I imagine you tested this on a Mac from well, the I
0: so it's it's officially bootable on a on a Mac. Uh it will boot to an installer. So I installed a Linux installer, I, I okay. imaged a Linux installer to one of the drives and was able to boot my PC to that. It wouldn't install. So I, I, I had two drives in there. I had one that had the installer and when I was going to try to install to, it wouldn't install onto the other drive. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm thinking that's, that's the limitation. But if you were to have like an installer on a partition, it it booted at least my X99 based platform booted to it. Uh, fine. So you know flexible in that regard so if you have dual systems pcs and Macs and linux and they it even works on chrome os uh basically anything that uh that supports drive standards um just nice uh a nice uh, overall platform
1: well there's so many questions i'll only ask one though mm-hmm. the, the, is that like a floor is that like desk do you use like a an outdoor table
0: um this is let me see if i can turn the screen sharing back on here uh this is a uh just a table it's a, it's like a uh tall like bars tops height nice. uh game table or you know it's it's okay. it's in our basement it's you know sitting around putting board games and stuff and i like it yeah
1: wood grain it's very l g. r jeremy has been very busy as always this week posting news right and left. And but before that though, let's yeah.
0: uh, let's take a quick break though. we have a sponsor this week from a new sponsor and yeah. a, uh, it's something we're very excited to talk about, so let's let's uh, take a break. No to talk about this episode of the PC Perspective podcast is brought to you by Molecule. Clean air is crucial to a healthy life, especially for those with conditions like asthma or for those who suffer from allergies. And even though there are countless air treatment products on the market with sleek modern designs, the technology at the core of most of these products, hePA filtration, is decades old. HEPA filtration was first developed in the 1940s, and while it was a significant improvement over other solutions at the time, it hasn't seen any major innovations since then. HEPA-based air filters trap airborne particles above a certain size. This means two things. First, those allergens, mold, bacteria, and viruses remain in your home while trapped in the filter, while the rest of the air you breathe passes through them. And second, HEPA filters are ineffective at stopping the particles that are small enough to make it through the filter. This is where Molecule comes in. The company has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule calls it Pico technology, that's photoelectrochemical oxidation. And it not only captures those harmful airborne particles, but also eliminates them, including particles up to 1,000 times smaller than those that can be stopped by a HEPA filter. Molecule's unique technology can therefore make a real difference for allergy and asthma sufferers, resulting in a significant reduction in symptoms. One customer reported that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people, and verified by third parties, such as researchers from the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory. And molecule's advanced technology on the inside is matched by a clean, modern design on the outside. with a sleek aluminum shell, molecule looks great in any room. It's also easy to use and maintain, and the company offers a convenient subscription service to deliver new filters right to your doorstep exactly when you need them. Don't go another day without having the air in your home be as clean as it can be. Get $75 dollars off your first order by visiting MOLEKULE dot com and using promo code PC at checkout. That's M O L E K U L E.com and promo code PC We thank molecule for its support of the PC perspective podcast and for helping us all breathe cleaner, healthier air. All right, well back to the show uh, and uh, we were talking, Jeremy has some news for us. Yes. Well, okay. Jeremy,
1: among the stories that you posted that I put on this list uh, it doesn't seem like a big deal. You know, we have driver updates all the time. NVIDIA's latest driver update is a little bit different, right?
0: I Well, I mean,
3: in that this is specifically designed for the RTX laptops that we're about to start seeing, which yeah. is kind of nice. And I was sort of thinking, you know, I haven't seen many reviews, but apparently there are 80 different providers or 80 different SKUs we're going to be seeing in the very near future.
1: So you're going to be seeing them. Yeah. And the the big thing too is, I mean, part of, I'm sure part of this is that this is the driver that finally enables DLSS support, at least in so far in the 3D Mark Port Royal demo or benchmark, which is kind of like related. I had put these stories together, but this, this is the driver that enables it. And if you have the benchmark, you can run now on your RTX cards, but DLSS makes so much more sense for, Laptops, just like it makes a lot of sense for the RTX twenty sixty, if you don't have just the raw horsepower, you don't have as many like tensor cores, then DLSS is like the secret sauce that it makes ray tracing possible. Mm -hmm. And so it obviously makes a lot of sense for notebooks. And then uh Scott had posted news, I believe, last night. We were talking in the chat about DLSS and kind of what it is and how it works and if you read nvidia's deep uh, learning yeah. and, and they're doing all the the heavy lifting on the back end and they're creating it's almost it almost strikes me a little bit like hdr cuz they're creating data that uh between the game and which has been created for and the driver if you enable it then the way that the game is actually rendered changes the way that like, what you see on your screen is the result of basically like it it shows like a scene that has no anti-aliasing. Then it shows one that has like 64 times anti-aliasing. And it goes back and forth. And it's like, this is what it looks like with. This is what it looks like without. And it teaches the computer like this is how anti-aliasing looks. And then what it's able to do is create that without the performance penalty. But more importantly than this, And I can't remember which outlet did the like sort of investigative report into DLSS, like trying to figure out like what is the actual internal resolution that it's that is rendering at. I think it might have been Tom's hardware. Uh, They looked at it and it's something like uh, it's like a 50 percent lower, perhaps somewhere in there. We don't know the exact numbers like it's seventeen hundred something for twenty five, sixty But what it's able to do is internally render in a more like GPU-friendly way and then use all of this AI training from deep learning to actually output a higher resolution than was actually internally rendered. And it looks great, but you have much, much higher frame rates than you would if you were actually running just RTX cores, like the sensor cores on RTX, like all in hardware. So this is kind of... Right now, I think Port Royal is the only thing that has this enabled. But Shadow of the Tomb Raider is one. I know it's coming. Uh, well, of course, Battlefield Five has been like the poster child for uh, ray tracing since the launch of the RTX cards. But DLSS support was the thing we were waiting on that would actually make it more feasible on hardware that isn't the absolute highest end and gets you those much, much higher frame rates. Like Port Royal, the performance goes up 50% with DLSS versus uh, standard AA with ray tracing. So I can't wait to actually try it out myself. I have the hardware. I just need to download the latest version. Let's see here. Something interesting Tim posted. Hey Josh, do you know why a Raven
3: Ridge is like a bread box?
2: Because it's bigger than one? This one isn't. So it is the size of a bread box. You can actually fit two loaves of bread in there, therefore making it a bread box.
1: I feel yes. like this is smaller than a bread box. Have you have you it will uh, fit in a bread box? Can you have you handled a mini STX mini STX system? No. It's five by five. It was the Intel five by five thing. I know they showed it at one of the trade shows years ago. It was sub mini ITX. And at the time, it was an Intel platform. It was, I think it was around the time that the Nook came out. Might be completely wrong. So, well after BTX, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Long after BTX. (laughs) I mean, the total size of this enclosure is about six by six by three and you can build a mini stx system in something that i mean it's bigger than a nook but it's you know configurable you can throw in your own processors you can put de- desktop processors in these things
0: oh, for the audio listeners maybe we should just stop here and just clarify what we're talking about yes because we jumped right into the, uh, the yeah, jokes. the voice
1: of reason <laughs> <laughs> all right jim what are we talking about
0: so it's uh ASRock has a uh a bare uh, they call it the desk mini a 300 which is a bare bones mini STX form factor uh in PC or enclosure. Or I guess it's a it's a bare system. It's a bare so, bones yeah,
1: system. It's the case yeah. and motherboard. Case and motherboard, yeah. And I imagine power supply. I guess I could Oh it's gotta be. Yeah. Well it's it's external. So yeah, 19 yeah. volt power brick. So kind of the same same idea as thin mini ITX where you have the external power, but it's even smaller than that. Wow, and, you you can't fit in very much bread in that. No, I mean you could you could fit a slice of bread in it. Well, you can do multiple slices. No, and then I
3: if, guess you, if it's thin slice, go. okay. Texas yeah, four toast. would be toast. Yeah, two Texas toasts maybe.
0: Wonder bread compresses very well. It does.
1: That's cheating, though. Okay, mom's She's homemade made bread. bread with the my, really thick crust.
0: My mother never made bread.
3: Okay, and besides, then you're slicing it on your own, so it's. relative sure that's true but your mom is a relative relative.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: all right anyway the interesting thing about this that we haven't even well jeremy tried to steer us in the right direction this is not an intel system this is a mini sdx system that's for amd cpus specifically amd apus or AMD Ryzen CPUs with graphics like the 2200G, 2400G, I imagine, would be popular for this. It's AM4, and you're going to be limited to this 120-watt total uh, unless you supply your own higher-powered 19-volt power brick, which is, of course, possible. I don't know what the board can actually handle, but it's just interesting to me. Like I love the idea of choice when it comes to the small form factor because... For years and years, and I've done a number of mini PC reviews over the last five years, I would get a mini PC, and the first thing people want to know about it is what's like HD and or even 4K video performance like? Uh can you game on it? Like is this somebody who uses an HD PC? And very often these were more along the lines of that that kind of terminal computer that you see at like banks and libraries where it, yeah, it'll get you online and you can run a browser. But very, very slow EMMC storage and you like crave the ability to put like a faster processor in it. Cause a lot of these are coming with very, very low power, like three to six watt processors that are like dual core. So to be able to throw in your own like 65 watt processor into one of these enclosures and actually be able to use your own storage this could be a great alternative to a standard desktop if you don't need expansion slots. So just another option. And they've done these before, like these smaller uh desk minis. I don't believe this is a uh AS Rock's uh first, but something to look at. Apparently $119. So you get the case, you get the power supply, motherboard, $119. So a little bit cheaper than those shuttle systems that, you know, that used to be like the small form factor bare bones go to. They still are around, but this is far less expensive. Speaking of things that are expensive. the oh, thank,
3: thank the Lord. You showed that instead of what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And why uh, didn't they charge $3,175 for it?
1: I don't know, and they're here's, so close at this here's, point. Here's the thing: we're talking about the thing we haven't introduced yet, and Jim, I'm sure, is like shaking his head right now. His head, his hands are probably covering his face. I'm not sure; I can't see him right now. Anyway, uh, Intel's 28-core Xeon W3175X. We talked about this last week. It's their mammoth 255-watt workstation processor only. Available from system integrators that develop purpose-built desktop workstations was the actual copy from Intel. And lo and behold, it shows up on Newegg. And then I was seeing on Twitter, like there was a a shop in Japan that had it like in hand. It's in actual retail packaging. The uh, Newegg images, the product shows not available, but the product listing is there, has their own images. And the box even shows that it has the, um, what is that program called? Like the overclockers insurance from Intel. Let's click on this and actually look. So they still have all the pictures up. The includes the performance tuning protection plan coverage. So, and now it doesn't say not available; it just says auto not- notify. So this this will be in stock, and it's listed at two thousand nine hundred and seventy seven dollars and ninety nine cents. And before you have a stroke, this is actually lower than the one thousand k like the or the one k tray price. Like when we saw this announced, it was you buy a thousand units or three thousand dollars each, and people were estimating all the way up to like $4,000 for a single CPU. And here it is on Newegg for the same as the tray price, actually slightly less. Well, as far as we know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. None (laughs) of this really matters till one's available to buy.
1: I guess. I mean, I'm hopeful that that actually is accurate. Not, I'm not hopeful because I plan on buying one, but I'm just like from a journalistic standpoint, being able to like say like, this is sold and shipped by Newegg. This is not some third party who was trying to take people's money for a product they couldn't actually buy. I don't imagine Newegg just creates product listings on a whim and being somebody who's followed like more expensive and impossible to buy Intel products like back when the X25M SSD was something that I was like constantly checking for on Newegg and it was like $600 for an 80 gigabyte SSD I think at the time. I finally bought one when it went down to 300. Like these product listings show up and then they're out of stock, auto notify and then a random like dozen will come into stock and immediately sell out. Cause everybody's been auto notified. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting that they, they said, absolutely. This will only be available from integrators. And then here it is on new it. it,
0: And you'll need to spend a lot more than just that $3,000 to get a system up and running. Cause you need to buy the custom board, custom cooler,
2: yeah, I think the wasn't some rumors that the motherboard's going to come in at seventeen hundred dollars.
0: It was I saw prices, yeah, well above, you know, in in the fifteen hundred plus range.
3: That's that's ludicrous. I thought our yeah. contact at Intel said it would be eighty dollars. Eighty dollars. Yes, I believe that was
1: what he said. No, no, he was no. he was talking about his
0: lunch tab. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, if you think about it, though, like this is all relative. Forget it. Like, if you've got the money to buy this CPU anyway, I'm sure you don't really care if the if the system, like the board, is that much. But you think about it: a three hundred dollar CPU often entails a hundred and fifty dollar motherboard. So, what's the difference? Three thousand dollar CPU, fifteen hundred dollar motherboard. It makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, Yeah, keeping everything proportional.
1: Yeah, I. How would you feel, Jim, if you bought a three thousand dollar Xeon and had like this paper thin, eighty dollar motherboard that you were trying to stick this thing into. I would I would be afraid of damaging my CPU. Honestly, I would need at least five hundred dollars underneath that thing. It feels. I'd
0: safe. I'd be more concerned about what time my meeting with the divorce attorneys were the next week than that. If I had bought that, yeah, I mean, that CPU. would be,
1: that would complicate things because then you'd have to make decisions about like liquid versus physical assets, mm-hmm. and distribution of 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 those things and stuff. So, you know, I understand that that would be a bit of a roadblock. But we all have to make sacrifices. And that's one that I'm willing to make yeah. for you. I mean, I uh, yeah, will yeah, make that course. sacrifice for you. You're gonna make that I'm for not me. speaking Thank for you. myself yep. yet. Anyway, uh, Jeremy posted news about it's something that we've been waiting for. Yes, I mean, if time. you were, if you were a big
3: fan of the Corsair Dominator fan package to put on top of your RAM to cool it off, because obviously RAM is. The, the one heat-producing thing in your system that needs to be dealt with. You're going to love Thermaltake's new water RAM. Yes, it is water-cooled RAM. It's a kit of four dims with, uh, with uh, screws in them so that you can specifically add into your water-cooling loop your RAM. Isn't, uh, isn't that part of a song, though? Oh, Black Betty
2: water ram. Oh, Black Betty. Water ram, ma'am.
1: Sounds about right. Yeah. I'm curious, and I'm looking on the uh, the site here. I mean, it worked. Uh, see, they
3: tested it, so 38.1C without the block, 36.2 just by adding the block in, and when you hook it into a water cooling loop, below 30C. So essentially, you're running at about ambient temperature, probably, or nice. a little bit over... Which of course isn't really gonna do anything to your performance, but hey,
0: well, I mean it gives
1: uh, you the headroom already... if you're overclocking the memory, and that's what I was looking at. I'm looking at the review to see if they like got inside and like looked at the ICs, like what is this using? Apparently, it's SK Hynix RAM. <laughs> it's 3200 megahertz RAM, pretty aggressive timing, 16, cast sixteen at sixteen, eighteen, eighteen, thirty-eight oh. X XMP profile. You could obviously probably bump that up with some more voltage but that's the thing like you start adding voltage to memory running this fast you're going to have some heat so you know i mean a lot of ram has pretty robust heat sinks these days but why not just put it underwater
3: and and to be honest one thing is looking at it it, with the water block attached to it it still takes up less space than some of these bloody fins on the, the more ostentatious ram kits
1: yeah, I would say this is slightly more compact than the air-cooled solutions, you know, the ones that oh, like the right. of course air has where you put, like, the, the fan shroud over the top yeah, of it. Dominator. Yep, so... Interesting. I mean, if you're already liquid-cooled or just want something to differentiate yourself the next time you build something to take to QuakeCon, I mean, this is it. It will want, look different. You don't want to be the one that doesn't have the water ram at your next LAN party. Uh, the next story... Jeremy that you posted that I have here is about a Synology NAS. I Jim is this the same one that that you have the 1819 plus or is this a different model?
0: This is a different one. I reviewed the 1619. It was a 6-bay.
1: Uh, okay.
0: Versions. so it might have it might have been the same platform but just this this the smaller number of drives.
1: And the potential storage for this is of course outrageous. Now this 252 terabyte number, that's with the addition of like a second drive unit, right? Like it's
3: there's an expansion kit which yeah. swaps in another ten drives. You can get two expansion kits if if uh, remember correctly.
2: And they're two by four. Okay. So yeah, if you
1: put in twelve gig drives. This will take fourteen gig drives, won't it? Hmm. Or
0: uh, gig, terabyte, 14 terabyte. <laughs> or is you know, The four- the issue with, with Synology and all of the NAS uh, makers is that there are file system limitations on volume size. So when you get into some of these, like either giant 12-bay devices or you start adding on the expansion units and you're using 12 and 14 terabyte drives, you're probably going to hit a limit and you're not going to be able to have it all in a single volume. So you'll have to then, you know, plan your storage to split it up between multiple volumes.
1: I don't know if I'd want a single volume that was 112 terabytes anyway. Oh, well, you can't. I think the, the single is 108 terabytes. Sorry. Oh, I see that now. Maximum single. Okay. Well, I guess you could use that extra four terabytes for like parity or something. I mean, I guess you could have like one. Well, I don't know. Yeah. know a lot of different rate options. Like tables and stuff. But the nifty thing about this one is
3: 10 gigabit Ethernet. That's nice. And so that's what makes this one sort of new. It, it doesn't come right out of the package. Um, essentially, it's got a, a PCIe NIC that you can order. Okay. And it can either be the SFP Plus or RJ45, if you like the old style. And that the highest one is uh, a PCI 3.0 by 8.0 to 10 gigabit e network connection which is for files of this size like if you've got this much storage it's going to be bloody painful if you're just doing a single gigabit connection like it's just not going to work but you slap this thing into it and all of a sudden you can have a lot of people connecting to this simultaneously and it ain't gonna care at all.
0: Yeah, and all, all of these products too. That they all have multiple gigabit NICs built in, and you can do like link aggregation. Yes. but you introduce a lot of requirements down the chain. Like your switch has to support. It's an eight hundred two. Oh yeah, eight hundred two three AD, or you know, there's protocols. And and I had bought some enterprise level uh, Cisco stuff that didn't that I thought had it and didn't Mm-mm. end up having it. So, and then you got to set up like VLANs and stuff. So there's a lot of requirements just to being able to have that option to have the the, the uh, PCI Express slot, throw in the card. And when I tested the smaller version of this, you don't need to buy, like they do sell you a card. We got those um, Intel X540 uh, 10 gig uh, RJ45 cards. It works with that plug and play. So you just uh, install it and you can go. And then there's, uh I had a QNAP card, a QNAP branded, Nick. That worked in there as well so a lot of options for expandability
3: yeah well and i mean this isn't something you're going to plug and play because like pretty much just the bare bones setup is a grant uh and that has a an immense amount of ram i'm just trying to find where it was uh there it is uh so it comes with (laughs) four, four gigs of ram you can upgrade that to 32 gigs, but that will cost you almost
2: $700. You know what? That's that's not really true. Because the last Synology, uh, I think the previous version of, of this, which has the four one gig link mm-hmm. and stuff, <clears throat> you could buy some, uh, some Micron memory, and we put in two by 16 gig. Huh. Uh, so dims in there, and it worked,
1: and instantly avoided your warranty. Well,
2: yeah, no, no, not really. You just take off the case, and
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know about this particular model because, but, but again, the, the the sister model of this that I reviewed has a door with sodiums right accessible oh, there, really? so you you don't have to buy the they're not Apple. You don't have to buy the RAM from the factory okay. up front.
1: I manually upgraded a um uh, NAS a few years ago, and that was the same story. Like, you had to take the whole thing apart and. I don't remember if there was a sticker or not that I had to get past, but you could replace the dims. Like there was two dim slots and just had one populated, but, or the so dims, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I see one more story on here. I'm not familiar with was who added this. Was this you, Jeremy?
3: Well, it yeah. Canada
1: on it. Yeah. I
3: had to make sure that uh, people were aware of it and I decided not to uh, post a full news review of it, but I will quickly cover that as bad as the States is for your net neutrality and just general assery of your communications companies, they have yet to be caught trying to ban VPNs. Bell Canada wanted as part of the new trade agreement to ban the use of VPNs for in any case in which they might be used to get the American Netflix. So, well, it's just that you know, they literally don't grasp the whole, Oh, companies use VPNs. What? So if you ever see that being argued, you can blame us because we started it. Sorry. About Great. Because we, we have a satellite office in Calgary. Did we
2: have VPN network to hundred percent? of the time uh yeah so they connect to our corporate network to watch netflix right (laughs) No, yeah yeah, that's for bad
0: it's actually to view out of market mlb games oh that would also be true
1: that's why you subscribe to mlb.tv or what is it called mlb at bat
0: no but they they black they block you out if you're in the oh that's uh, right
1: yeah Yeah, okay like you're talking about watching in market games
0: Right. Well, uh, out of what uh, I meant, out of like the games you're not supposed to be able to watch.
1: Yeah.
3: Which up here is anything that doesn't feature Toronto?
1: Hmm. You going to support your team. I mean, it's, it's not my a team. Matter of
0: pride. <laughs> Wrong coast. <laughs>
1: uh yeah. In geography, is not one of my strong points. Um, still bitter about the loss of the Expos. Yeah. I mean, they're still there. They're just in Washington now. Mm. nationals. Yeah. Go USA. <laughs> but but anyway, they still haven't uh, re-signed uh, Bryce Harper, who is still a free agent as we move on to the sports portion of our podcast today. Where do you think he's going to end up? We're going to take some calls. Uh, all right. So let's go to picks of the week. And uh, I see that all of us have a pick starting with jim
0: all right yep so mine is uh it's a a, a humble bundle uh that is uh, for paradox interactive so a lot of uh really great strategy games i know josh likes some of their games he's talked about in the past and um this one is uh it's pretty good for a for a dollar or a dollar or more you get you know crusader kings 2 age of wonders darkest hour uh magicka i actually haven't played magicka but the the others are pretty good um but then if you if you go to I guess it's at the average of 642, you get in you get Crusader Kings two, age of wonders, three Europa universe universalist four. And then really at $12 though, you get steel division, some extra DLC for some of the games, steel divisions. Great. I've been playing that, uh, not so much recently, but right after it came out, I played it quite a bit. So that, that, this is a, for $12 or more. If you add more for charity, you get quite a good selection of games. So, uh, check that out if you're into strategy that style of strategy
1: games is steel division strategy or is that a like a the picture makes it look like a shooter
0: no it's a strategy it's sort of a top down uh okay. real well it's, it's turn it's based fun, isn't it? in terms of setting up your your units and then it plays out in real time or not it's like you know, accelerated real time i guess so
1: it's yeah. like valkyrie chronicles or is that what that one's called mm,
3: no because that's you control valkyria
1: like it's a it, well, turn-based, but yeah, you're right. It's like over-the-shoulder yeah. shooting, and then it's you have to wait your turn to move again.
3: With the most bizarre cover system in the world. Yes, yes. Jeremy, you're up. So if you don't want to be playing games taking place in historical times, how about historical games? The Ancestor bundle over on Fanatical is two freaking dollars. You get System Shock 1. You get System Shock 2. Ooh. You get Metal Fatigue. And I have no mouth and must scream. I've never actually played Shadow Man or Strife, and I don't really remember Spirit Susanna do much. But for $2, just bloody well get it. Uh, System Shock 2 has been sort of redone on the source engine. Uh, and so it will look much better now that you own it on Steam. And there's a ridiculous amount of mods out for it. The System Shock 1 is enhanced, but it's still a little pixely because, good lord, the thing is ancient. It is also one of the very first first-person shooters that you needed to use a brain for. I'd highly recommend them all, unless you literally don't have $2, in which case, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: This that You're like cheaper than GOG prices now. I know System Shock is on GOG. I don't know if System Shock 2 is, I imagine so. For it is buck, buck. though.
3: yeah buy it give the key away to someone you like if
1: you're right already have it all right josh me
2: Uh if you don't like putting people in arm bars when why don't you get a usb bar the samsung bar plus 128 gig drive only 26 bucks
1: Ooh, look we at those speeds.
2: gigabytes per second Say that again. I was 300 talking over you. Three hundred megabytes per second USB. How fast control. is it, Josh? It's around three hundred megabytes oh, per second read. Okay, okay. Riots are probably going to be slower. Oh, it's it X-ray is. proof, so that you can't. See it that. is X-ray proof. That's what I was just about ready to say. It's all metal. You can X-ray it, and you'll just see a bar of metal. What do you think of the industrial design? I, I think it's handy. It feels good in your hand. You flip it up in the air and it lands with a nice solid thud Mm -hmm. wherever it lands. Which way you should be putting it when you insert it. Yeah. You have no confusion about. And you can put a key ring in it. So there you go. 26 bucks for 128 gigs of pretty fast flash. Uh, Ah, that sounds awesome. It saved every one of us.
1: Speaking of savings and I'm annoyed looking at the screen right now cuz I didn't realize this was actually cheaper but the pick that I have is not like not 26 dollars it's expensive but it's not super expensive for what it is it's a mirrorless camera i had resisted the mirrorless camera uh trend which it's, it's you know sweeping the nation uh basically it's been like the camera of choice for a lot of people who do like video work and Photography and what's the thing that's more compact? And I'm the one who totes around like a DSLR and just something that's smaller that you can take to like trade shows or you know do video with is appealing. And normally this thing's like $650 with the kit lens. Uh, this uh actually it looks like it's basically the, the camera back price for the whole thing is what they're selling it for on Amazon now. So it's like but not inexpensive, but compared to a DSLR, it's kind of like in that entry-level DSLR price point. I will say this camera produces extremely good images. Seems to have, even with the kit lens, good sharpness, not a lot of distortion, takes very good video, has a very sensitive uh, sensor. It's a 24.3 megapixel camera. Uh, Not perfect, but it it works for my needs, and and you, uh, you get
0: three months of Creative Cloud, well the photography plans. I guess that's Photoshop and Lightroom, probably. Uh, apparently, no. apparently
1: for with this three, one you do three months for when you, free. When you get it at Best Buy, apparently you don't. Well, there you go. Uh, I paid six hundred and fifty dollars for it, and I don't think I got anything for free at all. But yeah, I mean, uh, apparently on the plus side, much. you're not getting emails from Adobe now. That's true. But, and uh, you're yeah. you're
0: actually your your video right now is coming through this card.
1: Correct. I'm what this is the A6000. I have it plugged into an HDMI capture device, and I'm actually using the camera to do the podcast. I'm like, hey, if I just get like an external power thing, things, so when it run out of battery halfway through the podcast, can I just use this as a webcam? And the lens I'm using is actually another Sony lens. It was a separate purchase, but for about the same price as the my go to Nikon micro 40 millimeter lens that i use for everything that almost all the photos you see on the website that i've taken in the last four years have used this lens i got a 50 millimeter prime lens with a very quiet very quick autofocus that makes it ideally suited to video and i have it stopped all the way down to 1.8 right now which means you know if i were to move out of frame then this the card in the background would go into focus. Now, if it focuses back on me, like everything behind me is now super blurry and I don't even have that much light in here and there's plenty of light for video, so.
0: And we should point out, if you've been watching the stream, you've probably noticed that Sebastian's video has been glitching out the whole stream. Yes, and that's, so that's another recommendation fault. for this camera. <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> the fault of the interface, the HDMI capture he's using. Yeah. That, that Allen not not the highest. <laughs> and I bet, actually, now I think about it, I
1: did not adjust the... Uh, frame rate of the camera manually so i probably need to set it to 60 because if it's at like 125 it's probably freaking the capture device out so anyway that's my pick anybody got anything else crickets nothing Nothing? Mm -hmm. all right well this has been the pc perspective podcast check us out at pcper.com read the full review of the Radeon 7 if you haven't already uh check out all the benchmarks there more to come by the way with that there's a lot more to test i'm sure there'll be some more projects coming uh, but for now i want to thank you for listening and or watching and we'll see you next week